Tobradex ST Turn On Relief. Using a fixed dose combination therapy enhanced with Zangen suspension technology, Tobradex ST provides an optimized and consistent delivery of tobramycin and dexamethasone in every drop. For full prescribing and safety information, visit www.mytobradexst.com. That's M Y T O B R A D E X S T.com. Welcome. We have a jam-packed episode for you this month. The major issue of modern optometry had so many great articles, we had a hard time picking just a few. So we cheated and chose a few more than usual. But don't worry, they're short, so we won't keep you long. And hopefully you'll agree that they're all pretty interesting. Here's what we have lined up for your listening pleasure. One article from our cover focus on contact lenses, one from our sub-focus on scleral lenses, a feature article on the practice of optometry during the coronavirus era, reflections from an optometrist who recently completed her residency, and we're bringing our up-close column to life for the ModPod. All right, we've got a lot to get through, so let's get to it. First up is Dana Salgado, owner of Dana Salgado ODPC, with locations in Albany and Chatham, New York. Her article offers advice on how to preserve and grow your contact lens patient base. Contact lenses have been an integral component of many optometric practices for more than three decades. But over the years, industry disruptors have altered the practice of optometry. The popularity of online exams and contact lens sales has drastically changed contact lens services for many practices. These disruptors affect not only practice sales, but perhaps more important, also patient care. It is therefore essential that we, as eye care providers, educate our patients about their ocular health, about proper lens care, and about advances in contact lens technology. It is now more important than ever for eye care professionals to diversify their contact lens practices and face new challenges head on. Making small alterations to your current contact lens offerings with little additional investment can open the door to significant growth. This article offers some suggested changes you can make in your practice. When you uncover an opportunity to improve visual acuity or comfort in a contact lens wearer during a probing case history, this can allow you to offer an upgrade. Offering patients the opportunity to try new lenses will not only keep them coming back year after year, but it will also lead to invaluable referrals. Patients will appreciate the attention and education, and letting them test out a a new technology builds loyalty and discourages them from finding other potentially easier venues for renewing their contact lens prescriptions. Refitting patients into a new contact lens modality can increase the patient's satisfaction and loyalty and your profit. After explaining the health benefits of daily disposable lenses, giving the patient an opportunity to trial a daily disposable lens allows him or her to experience firsthand the ease of care. Sending the patient home with a one-week supply of lenses often results in a successful conversion to the new modality. 
With readily available rebates for daily disposable lenses, a one-year supply easily and readily becomes an integral part of the yearly contact lens evaluation. It is also important to pre-appoint the patient for his or her complete eye exam and contact lens evaluation for the following year. Exploring new technology to improve visual acuity can be another source of increased revenue and patient loyalty. Correcting astigmatism with contact lenses has been both efficient and effective. Contact lens wearers with astigmatism who have previously been corrected with spherical lenses are a potential new base of patients right within your existing practice. For so long, the functional acuity provided by multifocal contact lenses was unsatisfactory. But with an explosion of new multifocal contact lenses over the past few years, the options for correcting presbyopia have made success significantly more achievable. Simply beginning the discussion with patients about the ability to correct their vision without glasses opens the door to building a loyal and profitable patient base. Enabling the patient to return to his or her work environment with a multifocal contact lens provides an immediate opportunity for that patient and his or her coworkers to witness the possibility of improved function without glasses. Developing a specialty contact lens practice can help to keep an optometric practice relevant. Offering scleral lenses creates a niche for an innovation and the potential for a loyal contact lens base in your practice. Developing skill with scleral lenses can quickly set you apart and attract a strong referral base from other local eye care providers. Patients with ocular surface disease who are referred to a practice for sight-restoring scleral lens evaluations often then become key sources for other referrals. Another lucrative and creative way to diversify your existing contact lens practice is by offering myopia management with contact lenses. Once again, developing new fitting skills opens up a new population of contact lens patients that you may have previously overlooked. Although myopia control is not exclusively done using contact lenses, new literature lends itself to the benefit of slowing the myopic curve by fitting your patients with multifocal contact lenses. A smart strategy is to place copies of articles on myopia management in your waiting room. This helps to initiate discussions with pa parents who are eagerly seeking treatment for their children. Once the education process has begun, many parents are quickly willing to incur extra costs for a multifocal contact lens evaluation, routine follow-ups, and a one-year supply of daily multifocal lenses. Offering excellent care and new technologies that cannot be obtained through most online exams and delivery services will help you preserve your current contact lens wearers and attract new wearers to your practice. Being on the forefront of new technologies and offering new options will help you build a local base of patients who will look forward to yearly visits with you and see the new options available. Don't let changing trends push you out of the contact lens game. Think you might try any of Dr. Salgado's tips? Let us know if you do. Email us at modernod at bmctoday.com or message us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Moving along, next up we're going to hear from James Diem, a private practice co-owner of Hazelton Eye Specialists in Hazel Township, Pennsylvania, with five scleral lens troubleshooting tips. The popularity of scleral lenses has grown exponentially over the past five years. 
You can't go to a major meeting without seeing at least 50% of the contact lens education dominated by talks about this modality. Interestingly, their utilization does not match this overall growth in education. By and large, soft contact lenses still dominate the market. My theory to explain this disconnect is that many eye care practitioners are wary of the difficulties that can come with fitting scleral lenses, including increased chair time, and they worry that they may lose revenue. This article lists five ways to troubleshoot issues you may run into when fitting scleral contact lenses. Numero uno, befriend your lab. I am talking first name basis. Get to know who is responsible for what. Learn about the warranty program so that you can, in turn, educate your patients about it as well. Labs want you to be successful. When troubleshooting a problem, your lab should be your first stop. Most often, it will also be your last. Number two, be a slit lamp extraordinaire. In the lectures and workshops that I've run, I have found that many docs rely on OCT imaging to help guide their fitting decisions. This is like getting an MRI to determine if a shoe fits. Although OCT can be beneficial in supporting what you see at the slit lamp, it can sometimes overcomplicate the process. Instead, practice your slit lamp assessment of vault, impingement, and compression. This allows the patient's symptoms to be equally important as your slit lamp evaluation. Do not create problems where problems do not exist. Allow the eye to help fit the lens. Number three, minimize but maintain vault. My first cohort of scleral lens patients has now been wearing lenses for going on six years. The single most important change I've made in my fitting during that time is to respect a minimum vault and a maximum vault. Too much vault induces hypoxia and results in neovascularization. Early on, I was definitely more liberal in my vault maximums. Theoretical models over the past 10 years have shown that minimizing the vault while maintaining it is actually healthiest. My personal experience includes a patient with worsened neovascularization who may have been lost to follow-up for a couple of years. That patient had more vault in the 400 to 600 micron area than patients with 100 to 200 microns or even those with mild touch. Number four, fluorescein on top. Filling the bowl of a scleral lens with fluorescein is a no-brainer. We all do it, and we know why it's important to do it. Putting fluorescein on top of the lens, however, allows observance of unwanted tear film communication, edge lift, vault analysis, and imaging of any lens markings that may be present. Number five, conjunctival lenses living on the edge. The only interaction that a scleral lens should have with the eye is near the edge in the peripheral curves resting on the conjunctiva. If there is a problem with comfort, vision, or appearance of the eye, understand the peripheral curves of the lens you're working with and how to alter them and strive for perfection here. Study the lens design you are using. Ask your lab for a visual to help you better understand how each change affects the fit. Scleral lenses have been the subject of increased attention, and for good reason. They work well for patients with hard-to-fit eyes and with many ocular conditions. Sure, they can be challenging to fit in at times, but they can be equally rewarding. If you run into a problem, review these troubleshooting tips and see if you don't find yourself back on course. Not a scleral lens fitter? No worries, this next one's for everyone. 
Mila Brujic, a partner at Premier Vision Group in Bowling Green, Ohio, walks us through how his practice changed during the COVID-19 pandemic over the course of about 30 days. Here's his story. In early April, our offices were open every day, but the front doors were locked and the only people entering those doors were patients with emergent situations. We had three staff members working in our office in Bowling Green, Ohio. They stayed appropriately socially distanced and worked at workstations using only phones, computers, keyboards, pens, all that stuff that was assigned directly to them. We cleared our schedule for non-emergent visits for all of April and into May, not knowing when we would be able to reopen and reschedule these patients. During the month of April, when a patient called, he or she heard a message that the office was closed due to COVID-19 pandemic. Patients who needed glasses or contact lenses could leave a message and patients with an urgent or emergent situation were instructed to contact the doctor on call at that location. On the first Monday of May, we reopened our office to non-emergent patients. This is the story of how our practice changed, first to restrict our visits and then again to begin to open back up. So what constitutes an urgent or emergent situation? These would include any eye-related issues that seem sight-threatening, infectious, or sounds as though it could cause long-term permanent changes or damage to the eye. So if a patient calls to say that his eyes are itchy again and it's consistent with allergies, they sent a prescription to the pharmacy. But if a patient calls in to say that she's got something in her eye, it's still bothering her and she's light sensitive, that's good reason to have her meet with the doctor on call. When we see patients, in addition to physical distancing and general hygiene practices within the whole office, patient temperatures are checked when entering the office. All patients are required to wear masks in the office and every one of our slit lamps now has a shield mounted to it. It's important for optometry to take a leadership role and not to be a contributory factor to this pandemic by eliminating unnecessary patient visits. Now is a great time to embrace technology and give telemedicine a try. We're doing our part in terms of making sure we're not promoting the spread of this contagion. Patients have seemed to be understanding of the situation. Although they recognize that they couldn't come in for routine care, there did seem to be some frustration with the situation in general. It's not surprising we were all feeling and experiencing similar emotions and anxieties with the new social norms being established. Each day, the other two practice owners and I discussed the latest changes related to state and federal guidelines unemployment, et cetera. We try to decipher the information as best as we can and figure out how it applies to our practice and our patients. In early April, we let ourselves talk about what it would look like when we finally open back up. In an ideal scenario, we would be able to test patients to determine if they had antibodies to COVID-19 and were immune to it. If that were the case, we could take different cautionary measures with some patients versus others. That said, I didn't think we were going to be able to just pick back up and go full bore again anytime soon. More than likely, we would get some government guidance on the number of people that could be in a certain square foot space at one time, and that would heavily determine what we did and when we moved back into normal operations. We opened our practice to non-emergent care on May 4th after the Center for Disease Control and Prevention lifted its restrictions. We spent the week before we reopened, training on additional hygiene protocols and preparing to go back to regular office hours. We did this wearing masks so that we could be comfortable with it and ready to do it when our patients return to the office. 
My new uniform consists of scrubs and a mask. We had six weeks of missed patient visits to reschedule, and I gave my staff members some guidance for prioritizing appointments. Every patient who needed to be rescheduled was assigned either a number one through three. One's are top priority and should be seen as soon as possible. These include patients with medical conditions who require a follow-up appointment, patients with dry eye and contact lens wearers who are running out of lenses and or need their prescriptions renewed. Incidentally, we are encouraging patients to have contact lenses directly shipped to their homes to avoid unnecessary handling. Patients considered to be twos, these were glasses wearers, patients with diabetes who aren't high risk can wait a bit. The threes are lower priority. These are the patients who came in last year healthy and want to have their annual exam but have no refractive or medical conditions. Our practice may be back to seeing non-emergent patients, but the practice itself has undergone a total pandemic makeover. First, we don't see anyone unless he or she is wearing a mask. There's a sign on our door that says, we want to keep you, the patient, safe, and we want to keep us safe. So we've taken additional precautions. It further states that no one will be allowed in without a mask. If a patient doesn't want to wear a mask, that's okay, but he or she will have to wait to be seen until the restrictions on wearing masks are lifted. Second, once patients open the first door to our foyer, they're asked to sanitize their hands at our hand sanitizing station and wait for someone to greet them. Someone from the front desk will unlock the second door to the foyer, check the patient's temperature, and if it's 100 or below, then he or she is allowed in the office and we can begin providing whatever care is needed. If a patient's temperature is above 100, he or she is not allowed into the office. We encourage patients to check their temperatures at home before they come into the office so there's no unexpected surprises when they get here. Employees must also check their temperatures before entering the office and must be masked the entire time they're here. We are taking hygiene and disinfection to the nth degree. We have noted on our practice Facebook page and website what patients can expect when they come into our office. We tell them that the experience is going to be different from what they've been used to in the past. When patients call the office, they are asked pre-screening questions related to their being in contact with anyone who has tested positive with COVID-19 or they're having had any symptoms of COVID-19 in the past week. If their answers don't raise any red flags, they're scheduled according to our prioritization system. As of early May, I'm seeing about 50 to 60% of the patient volume I saw before COVID-19 outbreak. Patients are no longer put into a reception area. They are now brought right back to either pretest or an examination room. We've also increased the duration of every exam slot to allow more time between patient visits for disinfecting and cleaning the rooms. I hope we all make it through this safe and sound as we concern ourselves and worry about our physical health and about the spreading of the virus, we must make sure to pay just as much attention to our mental health. If healthcare providers are physically healthy and safe, but not emotionally or mentally healthy, they're not going to be helpful to patients. Make sure you're doing enough to keep yourself mentally clear throughout this difficult time. How has the coronavirus affected your practice? Email us your story at modernod at bmctoday.com. What you're about to hear are some of the lessons a new optometrist has learned during her residency. So if you know someone who is considering a residency themselves, you may want to direct him or her right this way, or to the online version in the June issue, available at modernod.com. Nicole Harris, an optometric resident at Associated Eye Care in Stillwater, Minnesota, provides plenty of food for thought for those looking to be persuaded. 
The number of optometric residency programs is continually growing, offering more opportunities for graduates looking for a higher level of training and to specialize themselves. After I graduated from Illinois College of Optometry, I began an ocular disease residency at a multidisciplinary OD-MD practice. A key factor in deciding to pursue a residency was my concern that I had not yet seen and treated enough patients to be on my own, which is a common worry among new graduates. Not only have I gained a wealth of knowledge in treating and managing a wide variety of ocular diseases during my residency, but I've also learned many lessons along the way, which may also benefit other new optometrists. In residency, you quickly learn that the best answer to questions that start with, would you like to, or do you have time to, is yes. Each request is a unique learning opportunity that may not happen again. Saying yes goes beyond patient care. By saying yes to new experiences and pushing myself outside of my comfort zone, I have been able to grow each day academically and as a clinician. As a result, I feel I'm better prepared to meet the unique challenges that optometrists face each day. As a newly graduated doctor, I am still seeing certain conditions for the first time. Although residency is a perfectly acceptable time and place to feel uncomfortable while managing these first-time situations, it's incredibly important to do so with confidence so the patient feels comfortable and trust your management plan. Don't shy away from difficult patients or new procedures. Refining your skills and treatment plan in a supervised setting is a great way to boost your confidence, but it's also important not to be afraid to ask for second opinions from your colleagues. This is one of the great aspects of working in a multidisciplinary clinic setting. See one, do one, teach one continues to be a central principle of medical education and the motto of my residency director. If you don't take the opportunity when it arises, you could very well miss out on the opportunity to gain new confidence and skills. Along with the less common diseases, there are conditions that seem to show up daily. When treating a corneal abrasion or examining a patient for acute flashes and floaters, it's easy to write up an assessment and plan before you even see the patient. However, this can lead to a somewhat closed-minded exam or even missing other important clinical details. My residency program is set up so that the majority of patients I see are triage patients with acute problems. Flashes and floaters may bring in a 65-year-old patient for his or her first exam in 10 years. Along with an acute posterior vitreous detachment, I may find that the patient also has borderline high IOP and optic nerve cupping or early signs of macular degeneration that would have gone undiagnosed for many more years if it weren't for that exam. It's also important to remember that although this may be the 5th, 15th, or even 50th case of a particular diagnosis for you, it is likely the first for a patient and the first time it has been explained to him or her. Compassionate patient education and care allows patients to take part in their healthcare decisions, leading to better compliance and loyalty. As doctors, we have an obligation to be lifelong learners. Residency is a great way to continue to push yourself academically after graduation and set your career up for success. Each week, I dedicate half a day to academic time. This allows time to study the patient cases I have recently seen so that I have more confidence and reasoning behind my treatment the next time I see a patient with the same or similar condition. While we were in school, evidence-based medicine and clinical studies were something many of us dreaded. 
At the time, most studies just appeared to be acronyms and intimidating statistics that we memorized but did not understand. It was hard to integrate that level of understanding with conditions we had not yet seen clinically. Staying up to date on new studies and brushing up on older ones is now a regular part of my patient care. I have also been fortunate enough to work alongside great mentors, both optometrists and ophthalmologists, during my residency. I've learned that different providers may have different approaches and that's okay. There isn't always a right or wrong answer, but there is always an opportunity to learn by asking why someone does what he or she does. So far, my residency has been everything I hoped it would be. I encourage students who are on the fence about completing a residency to apply for one. For me, residency is an essential stepping stone to my future career. Last up is a favorite in the print publication, our Up Close column. This month, Mod's associate editor, Katie Herman, asks Jake Lang, an optometrist at Associated Eye Care in Stillwater, Minnesota, and a member of Mod's editorial advisory board, questions related to optometry, Instagram, fishing, and golf. What led you to specialize in corneal disease and contact lenses? I found myself compelled to pursue a residency as I progressed through my education at the New England College of Optometry in Boston. My residency positioned me to be the optometrist I wanted to be, and cornea was always cool. I mean, if you think about it, it's an optically clear tissue. How cool is that? There was also a lot going on in anterior segment with many new innovations and technologies that I found exciting. When I was in school, there was a huge expansion of technology in the areas of eye care, including LASIK, wavefront aberometry, and corneal topography, as well as in specialty contact lenses, including overnight orthokeratology and scleral lenses. NECO was ahead of the curve here. The anterior segment, specifically the cornea, is an area where optometry can and should play a prominent role in patient care. The location of these tissues allows easy access of assessment and treatment. Most conditions can be treated with topical medications or minor procedures that ODs are fully capable of handling. All of this made cornea and contact lens an appealing specialty to me. Combine this with some amazing mentors who inspired me to work hard and never stop learning. They steered me down the path that makes me the optometrist I am. How do you see optometry changing in the next 10 years? Over the next decade, optometry is going to have to take a larger and more integrated role in eye care, specifically medical eye care and managing patients with ocular disease. With the baby boomers progressing into retirement age, there's going to be an increased demand, whether it be an ocular surface disease, glaucoma, or retinal disease, which is going to require diversification of healthcare providers and an evolution of healthcare. With a limited number of ophthalmologists and lack of growth in ophthalmology programs, optometry is poised to take on a larger, more important role, and we should seize this opportunity. I don't believe this means an exclusion of ophthalmology, but more an integration. Each profession has its strengths and weaknesses. Practicing mutual respect, honesty, and keeping our patients' vision and ocular health as top priorities can lead us to be a better, more integrated future. Our future and our patients will require this. So you are behind the Instagram handle C1Teach1. Tell us the story behind this. C1 Teach One is a spin-off of the adage, C1 Do One Teach One. 
In general, eye care is a very visual specialty that requires nuance when examining complex cases. Many residents ask me, why do you think it's this condition or that condition? How do you know it was that pathogen? And so on. Unfortunately, many of my initial answers are because that's what it looks like. That is not a great explanation for young doctors, so we then delve further into the why. But my point is that clinical experience is huge. My hope is that by sharing some of my experiences on Instagram, I can inspire curiosity, make others better doctors, and continue the lifelong learning that optometry demands. I suppose that's the mission statement of C1Teach1, to inspire and further collaboration, education, and learning. What is a typical day in your life? What keeps you busy, fulfilled, and passionate? First, I'm a clinician. Most of my days are spent in direct patient care. I care for numerous corneal and ocular surface disease patients, glaucoma patients, in addition to comprehensive care. I work alongside Associated Eye Care's ocular disease resident. We discuss patients and talk about research. I try to keep her busy and to inspire her to be a future leader in optometry. I have an awesome eight-year-old son, and spending time with him is always a pleasure. Becoming a second-grade teacher wasn't something I had planned on, but COVID-19 had other ideas. It's been an interesting career change, that's for sure. In more typical times, I enjoy spending time with him and my wife on the golf course in the summer and the ski slopes in the winter. I really enjoy speaking at conferences. Some weekends, you'll find me in a lecture hall at a meeting trying to share my knowledge, improve patient care, and grow optometry. Anyone can read a textbook, but engaging and inspiring people to see things from another perspective has always been a goal of mine. Textbook answers, statistics, and percentages are just memorization. Evidence-based medicine is critical, but real patients are not found in textbooks. You are an avid golfer and fly fisherman. What about each do you like? Do the skills needed in either of these hobbies translate to optometry? Both offer a nice distraction to unplug from work while offering a beautiful backdrop. I love being outside. It's a great way to spend time with close friends and family. One of the things I like about these activities is that you must be completely in the moment to be good at either one. If there are distractions or if your mind is wandering, if your focus is not 100% concentrated on the task at hand, you won't perform at your best. I find this intense focus therapeutic. Golf teaches many life lessons if you listen. One of the biggest ones for me is focusing on the next shot, not the last one. The past is behind you, whether it was amazing or horrible. Focusing on what you can do to make the next shot great is how one succeeds. Optometry has striking similarities in that every patient requires the utmost attention and focus, a keen ear to listen to the patient's complaints, and a keen eye to diagnose subtle findings help make you a great doctor. Whether you listened all the way through or you skipped around to whatever interested you, thanks for listening. We'll be back next month, but don't be a stranger. Stay in touch with us through your favorite social media platform. We're active on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We love hearing from you. Until next time, stay healthy and stay happy.